Hello, everyone, and welcome to Singularity Podcast. Singularity Podcast is a feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. As you may already know, my name is Socrates, and as always, I will be the man with the questions. Today, I'm privileged to have Barry Ptolemy as my guest with the answers. Barry is most recently the director and producer of the upcoming Singularitarian movie about the life and ideas of Ray Kurzweil, appropriately titled Transcendent Man. Hi, Barry, and welcome to Singularity Podcast. It is great to have you here today. Hi, Nicola. It's great to be here. All right. Um, I will ju- jump straight straight into the interview by asking you the following questions. Uh, uh, the following question. Barry, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and especially why and how you got interested in making documentary movies and why and how you got interested in the technological singularity in general and in Ray Kurzweil in particular? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great question and one I don't fully understand. Um, you know, it, it's hard to understand why we have these interests. Um, my <laughs> interest in technology has spanned uh, a few decades, goes back to... Uh, my teenage years, and I had simultaneously an interest in film and filmmaking, and made my first film when I was only 13 years old. It was called The Holograph, and um, I had a really keen interest in, in making films, so went, I went off to film school, And but my interest in, in technology never went away, and, and kind of ideas about the singularity, not articulated um, as much as Ray has, uh, but uh, they were there, and so... When I finally came across his book, The Singularity is Near, in 2005, um, I was left with the, with the desire to make the film. And, um, and after contacting Ray and getting his uh, interest, we, we did just that. Um, based on our preliminary conversations, I know that you had some kind of involvement with Steven Spielberg's uh, movie, E.T. Out of curiosity, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that Sure. That's. I mean, that's kind of really where I cut my teeth, and um, you know, it was it was 1981. This is before Steven Spielberg's a, a really a giant, you know, global phenomenon that he mm-hmm. is today. But he was making a little film called ET, and um, in Northern California, on location in the, in the giant redwoods there on the Oregon border and California border. And um, we actually, I was I was fortunate enough to be involved in that film on location for the entire month, and uh, really got a, a front row seat at how uh, Steven Spielberg makes films, and when, when that film came out, it inspired me. It was, it's a very transcendent film to begin with, mm-hmm. and um, when that film came out, uh, I was really touched by it, like a lot of people are, and um, I knew at the, at, the, at the very, you know, global age of, of 12 or 13, whatever it was, that I wanted to make films for the rest of my life, and so that's what I started to set out to do, and that's when I made my first film like. I uh, enlisted into a film festival called The Holograph, and I, um, which was a technological film even way back then, and then, you know, pursued one project after another, went to film school, and so on and so forth. And um, again, it was, yeah, I had this desire to make films for a long time, and, um, and I really wanted to do something different, though, and, and create, you know, there's a lot of um, films that are, are, are being remade all the time, and I, I wanted to do something different. And so I saw in, this, you know, Ray's story, and the story in the Singularities Near, is an opportunity to do something really different and novel. And um, so that's that's what we set out to do. 
so would you say that it's fair to say that you got inspired to do movies in general by Steven Spielberg's example, and then um, in particular to do a singularitarian movie like Transcendent Men, you got inspired by Ray Kurzweil's book, The Singularity is Near. Yeah, I think that's a correct assessment of the situation. I was, you know, a lot of young filmmakers about my age were inspired by by Steven Spielberg and his film, mm-hmm. very palatable, and, and as a youth, they were very enjoyable. Um, I've since kind of moved, not haven't moved on past Steven Spielberg, but I've moved into other more mature trained and, uh, and other more mature filmmakers as I got older, but always appreciated, you know, his work and um, was, high, was greatly inspired by it. And then the, 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 another person that would inspire me to no end would be Ray Kurzweil and, um, and how he's articulated these ideas of uh, exponential growth and technology, um, and particularly in the singularities near. I've also read Age of Spiritual Machines, but mm-hmm. for me, the, the um, singularities near is truly um, a once-in-a-generation book. It's, I, I believe it to be the most profound book ever written, and um, so yes, I was, it was extremely inspiring. Okay, so let me uh, start going into the meat of the matter here of the singularity itself by asking you a bit of a broader question. Uh, a very important one, I believe, and that is namely, how do you define the singularity or what, in your opinion, is the technological singularity? Right. Um, and that's another good question because, you know, there are different interpretations, but mm-hmm. um, my interpretation is that of Ray's, which is, um, you know, it's a point in the near future, Ray puts it at about 2045, when technology will be speeding up so much that we won't be able to keep up unless we... Uh, merged with the technology that we've created. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is the probably the most elegant definition that I've ever heard of the singularity. Yeah. So um, how have your ideas and perception of both Ray Kurzweil and the singularity itself evolved before and after making the movie, or have they evolved at, at all? Well, they, they certainly have. I mean, they become much more subtle, and, you know, every, you know, I... It was, it's important to note that um, when I set out to make the movie and, and um, with my colleagues and my partner, my producing partner, Felicia, mm-hmm. really our idea was to try to um, see if we could shoot down these ideas, if we, could, if we could find, if we could speak to enough thought leaders and scientists that, that um, mm-hmm. these ideas could be, you know, dismissed. Um, and I think that's an important note to point out, um, it ends up that um, throughout making the film and following Ray around over the course of two years to over, I think we were in something like five countries and over 30 cities, and, you know, we were we spent a lot of time, we interviewed over 71 thought leaders and scientists, that um, the opposite became true. I became more, um, uh, I guess, believing in the idea of the singularity than I had previous to making the film. So based on the fact that my understanding is that you you had a sort of very genuinely honest and sort of scientific or proto-scientific approach of uh, throwing everything that you could find at the idea of the technological singularity and then estimate or evaluate whether it's able to stay on its own after that. And that's uh, based on your experience during shooting of the movie, um, your beliefs became your your convictions in the end is that a fair assessment 
Um, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I employed the scientific method uh, when I was making the film. I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. that I employed, you know, uh, a, journal's, a journalistic ethic, though. Yeah. And yeah. looking at the material and looking at the, um, you know, the beliefs of other thought leaders and scientists and mm-hmm. um, not being swayed one way or the other. I do, I do believe that, that that is a true statement. Um, I, I, I didn't, you know go into um, the hard sciences as much as, uh, as, a, as a real scientist would be. I'm not a scientist, and I don't mm-hmm. want to be, but, but I do believe that we looked at it as fairly as um, a filmmaker could. You know. So what is the impact of the movie um, on your personal life and ideas and your, perce- uh, your perception of the future? Well, as I said, you know, I believe that these ideas are quite obvious, and I think that a lot of people have them early on in life, um, and that society has this tendency to kind of, uh, you know, kind of squash these ideas early on, and you're, they're almost seemed ridiculous as a 13- and 14-year-old as you start to kind of contemplate your universe. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had some of these ideas, like I know many other people do at a very early age, and I had kind of put them away because it was ridiculous. I would tell people when I was 16 and 17 years old that, you know, I thought we were going to live forever. We could really, I even used the same metaphor as Ray. I thought we could make it from a bridge to a bridge to a bridge. And people just thought it was ridiculous. And um, so I kind of, in my college years, didn't talk about it so much. So when I kind of came back in context, uh, contact with these ideas again with Ray's books, it was really like coming home, and it was an amazing feeling. It was very gratifying, and um, uh, and that was the experience I had when I opened up and I cracked Singularity's near. It was it was like I immediately felt, um, you know, that these ideas that I had put away they were kind of ratified now and articulated in a way that I never could mm-hmm. by this genius Ray Kurzweil, and it was it was it was great. Yeah. So, and what would be the general uh, goal for your audience or for, for the sort of worldly impact that you would like to accomplish with, with the release of your movie? Well, you know, uh, um, again, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I, I do, I, I would like the film, you know, I'd like people to walk away entertained. But more than that, I'd like people to be moved and um, to, to experience, frankly, a transcendent uh, moment if, if that is a possibility. And, um that is what I set out to do from the very beginning is, you know, we live our lives sometimes in quiet desperation. We live in these valleys, mm-hmm. these troughs, and sometimes you can have these peak experiences and see just a little bit further than you can on any other day. And so, and then we're able to evolve. Our species evolve a little bit more from doing that. So my hope is that we're able to create a movie that can, can do that and, and help us, you know, see just a little bit further and uh, help us get down the road. And I, and I think... You know, um, I, 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 I hope that the film itself offers hope about the future. Mm-hmm. So um, do you happen to have a certain kind of a benchmark um, according to which you would know how successful you, you were um, and how do you gauge it? I mean, do you, for example, have a certain number of people that you would like to reach? Um, do you, for example, go and sit onto the screenings of the movie? Uh, and then watch the the reaction of the audience to sort of see and feel if if they had that transcendent moment or minute that you were talking about. 
You know, the great thing about um, filmmakers today is we get to enjoy audiences' reactions mm-hmm. um, in virtual reality. So you get to, I get to watch these tweets come that start going off on the film right after people watch the film. And you know, a room full of strangers mm-hmm. watch the film at any particular venue, and um, I get to collect all these tweets and understand what people are actually feeling when they're watching the film or right directly after, because people are tweeting right from the theater or right when they're leaving. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of an enjoyable um, thing. And, of course, you know, I'm there in person and often with Ray and, and taking uh, questions directly after, and so uh, I get to see people's um, response live, and that's really enjoyable as well. But we have big, you know, um, we think the film... It is a is a a, um, a big film and it recognizes big ideas and um, it's a big world out there and I think that you know we believe that the film can can really do a lot to help um, start to prepare people for this road towards the singularity. Mm-hmm. So, what uh, was the hardest thing that you had to overcome during the shooting of the movie? Well, let's see. The hardest or was it in post-production? Was it during the production or in distribution, I, I think that, maybe? Um, probably in production and post-production, finding the, the story, the heart of the matter, you know, um, was a very challenging task and, and something that took months and years, really, for us to distill down and really find the, the meat of. Um, so that was probably the single most challenging um, Thing to do. Of course, there's many challenges in making a film, um, but, um, but 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 I think though articulating the ideas in an entertaining way with mm-hmm. the story is probably the, the probably the biggest one. And was there a most surprising thing that you discovered for yourself during that process? Um, there are so many. I mean, uh, you know, things. For example, for example, you know, academians, uh, people um, in posts of academic research, or scholars, or professors all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, um, I found people to have a, a bit of envy um, in Ray Kurzweil, and I can't really explain it. But the vast majority of people that come in contact with his ideas really. Um, are moved by them and taken by them. And so he is kind of put on this pedestal. And I think that other individuals out there, peers of Ray, um, are kind of envious of that. And that was something that I was surprised to see. I couldn't, I was amazed to see how, you know, rampant it was and how clear that that was, that was the case, that people were, I think, quite frankly, jealous that he gets to be, you know, what some people have, have suggested him to be, which is the prophet. We don't, I don't, think that he's, you know, that, nor does Ray, but, but he's made to appear that way sometimes. Um, he's, also, he's also occasionally being called a charlatan or a genius, sure. as, as, as well as a prophet or a futurist. So who is Ray Kurzweil for you? Well, you know, he's, he's many things. You know, um, he's certainly a genius, and he's also, I mean, like he says, he puts inventor first and foremost um, behind his name, but he, he calls himself an inventor before anything else. Mm-hmm. And before you can call, you know, anyone can call anyone a charlatan who has actually invented some of the, some of the technologies that are in the bedrock of our daily lives. It's hard to um, call someone like that uh, a charlatan. Yeah. You know, uh, he's, he's made so many inventions that we use every single day. Um, and, and they're really remarkable inventions. Um, but I do think he'll become most famous for um, his, his books and his predictions 
um, of the future. And, um, of course, if they turn out to be accurate or at least primarily accurate, um, you know, I do think he'll become extremely famous and he'll be the kind of the leader of this whole singularity movement. The reason I ask you that question is because um, even though I haven't had the chance to see the movie just yet, I've seen the trailer many, many times. And um, it starts uh, in a very interesting way with uh, sort of a zoomed-in face of Ray Kurzweil and this caller to a TV station who I think, if I remember correctly, called him a crackpot even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, again, that was that, that, that surprise I shared with you, which was yeah, that yeah. people... Um, the, the, more, the people that are in academic circles tend to frown upon some of these ideas. They, they see themselves as elitist, and mm-hmm. but that's always been the case, you know, with the Wright brothers. They thought that their flights were that they were crackpots, and the army didn't want to use them, and even, you know, they were they were turned down by the U.S. government to use their invention. Yeah, yeah. I could I could list a, you know a dozen other you know major inventors and thought leaders who are really revolutionaries in their day, Albert Einstein, you know, comes to mind, who were completely dismissed um, back in their day. And it took, you yeah. know, it took many years and decades before they prevailed. And um, that's happening now with Ray, and I believe it will continue to happen. And I do think, you know, it, there will be a point where, where he will prevail, primarily because of his, he's been so courageous in his books and in mm-hmm. um, uh, our movie and also the movie he made, that he has gone on the record and said exactly what he believes, and we have we have it there for all to see. So we can go back and take a look ten years from now, because people think it's so obvious that the internet was going to do what it did now. Yeah. But back yeah. in the day, back in the '80s, when Ray was suggesting what's going to happen with the internet, no one was thinking that. But now today, when people when Ray says you know computers will um, shrink to the size of a red blood cell, people think that's ridiculous. So we'll have all these ideas recorded, and in 10, 15, 20 years, we can go back and people can see that he, in fact, was making these predictions um, when others were saying, no, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, I remember somebody criticizing him just about a year ago that uh, he predicted that we will be able to communicate verbally uh, with our cell phones by now or something like that. And I think... Just uh, last week, uh, Google released uh, Google Voice for their Android 2.2 system. Then Vlingo, which has been available for a while, even before that, made their service available for free following Google's example. So indeed, we're already communicating with many of our computers via voice and back. Correct. And what you're pointing out is a great is a great topic because people even you know, Ray predicted that we would be speaking and using voice activation like that a lot, um, mm-hmm. voice recognition in about 2009 and 2010. Well, as late as 2008, there was nothing out there. Um, yep. And but again, because of the exponential um, technology growing exponentially, even the last year and months, suddenly you can see this huge increase in technology. And so, Absolutely. right on target, just like Ray said, in, in, in late 2009 and into 2010, suddenly there was an explosion of this voice recognition software from Dragon Dictation by Nuance, and like you mentioned, Google, and they're getting really good. I have an iPhone, and it does a really good job yeah. of rec- taking what I'm saying and tr- turning it into text for various different applications, and it's really getting good. And we're a couple years away from where it will be completely seamless, and we'll be talking to our, our mobile computers wherever we go all the time. Yeah, and there's uh, similar systems for cars that are able to read your emails or incoming text messages to you while you're driving safely. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so let's, uh, since we're talking about uh, Ray Kurzweil's predictions at the moment, let's see, do you accept his uh, timeline for the singularity of around 2045, as you already mentioned, to be yeah, the... I, I pretty much do. I, I, I do think that, believe it or not, um, Ray is ever so slightly conservative. And um, in, his, in the book, Singularity Near, he, he uses a worst-case um, assessment at all of of the way that he breaks up, you know, down the model on how we're going to get there. I think that um, if only one of those steps were to just um, happen a little sooner, we could see basically what he's referring to as a singularity happen a few years earlier, even by the late 2030s. Um, of course, of course, we have some good, you know, funny conversations regarding um, the fact that I think he's a conservative. Uh, with these ideas, um, mm-hmm. he's obviously considered, uh, you know, a radical by 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 the establishment. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, for the most part, I think he's been, you know, who am I to argue with Ray Kurzweil about about these <laughs> dates? I mean, he's he's hit him more often than anyone else. So, but you know, just but spending when you start to immerse yourself and you really start to look at him on a daily basis, you can see how you in fact can start to make kind of you know predictions that bear out and. Um, so that, anyway, that's my two cents. I think that we'll get to the singularity before Ray's um, actual date. And what about the most uh, popular criticism of him that he is way too optimistic in sense of, in the sense of the positive benefits of any potential technological singularity uh, with respect to our species in particular? Um, there's another scientist called Hugo de Garis, for example who uh, believes that Ray, Kurzweil inven- Ray Kurzweil's inventions may contribute to the worst global war, what he calls the artilect war that the world has ever seen before, and that potentially our species would either be greatly challenged or may not survive any potential singularity at all. Yes. Um, you know, that's a complex conversation. Uh, Nick, but uh, you know, in, with, with to Hugo's point, um, and I interviewed him at length for our film, and we went over to China and, and you know tried to see what he was doing over there, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think he agrees with Ray, for example, on the speed of, of the technological change. But the yeah. problem is that where where Ray differs from Hugo and where I differ from Hugo is that he will not consider the fact that these technologies continue to shrink. Um, to blood cell size levels and nano size levels, which really eliminates an us and them scenario, meaning that there will be no, you know, there's no room where you'll put the AIs on one side of the room, the Terminator robots, and us on the other side. We will be completely merging with them, and we will be um, these AIs, and they will be us. And, you know, uh, we'll be very, very connected, and um, the threshold for wars will continue to go down. I mean, it's, I don't take a knife and stab one of my other arms with a knife because I understand that that would serve me, it would, you know, do me great harm. So in the same way, I don't think we're going to be fighting a war between these advanced AIs um, and us in the future. It's kind of like, um, you know, our industrial uh, uh, war complex fighting the Amish. It just would be a Um, non-starter. There won't be, um, uh, it won't be a very long war, let me just say that. So that's that's kind of my take on on Hugo's take on it, um, and I, I can't remember you had another question that was in there. Did I answer? Well, um, do you believe that the impact of the technological singularity would be greatly beneficial to us as a species? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, I do see the down. I mean, to your point about Ray being an optimist, yes, Ray is an optimist. And, um, you know, we, could you even be an inventor without being an optimist? Could you even start a project yeah. um, knowing that that technology doesn't exist yet and actually set out to create some new technology if you weren't an optimist? So, mm-hmm. you know, thank goodness for the optimists of the world. <laughs> but Ray does work hard at seeing the downside, you know, of these technologies. He talks about them all the time, and he's given a lot of thought to them. And, you know, there is a promise and peril of all these technologies. And, you know, technology is definitely a double-edged sword, and it always has been. But for the most part, we, when we invented fire, we used it to cook our food and, and to warm ourselves and not to burn down our neighbor's house. And, and the same thing with all the other myriad technologies that we've ever created. We primarily use them for good. And that's, you know, you have to look at the human race and understand that the human, humans pretty much are, you know, a group of people that are good for the most part. That's my belief. And... That's what I try to articulate in the film. Mm-hmm. So you, you would consider yourself to be an optimist yourself? Yes, I do. I mean, I look around and if I, I, I look at the technologies that I enjoy, they're so transparent to me, and wonder what I would be, what life be without these technologies. It's things that, again, I can't even um, imagine doing without things like language or music or law or the printing press. Not to mention things like the computer, the iPad, car. Uh, even something like a fork or a milkshake. I mean, these, I couldn't imagine life without these technologies, how brutish and short and, and, and um, uh, harsh it would be to live in that world. So, I, I, yes, I'm an optimist, and I look forward to um, enjoying, you know, these technological advances as they come. So would that be the major thing that you would like our listeners to take away from this podcast interview with you today? Well, it's certainly one of them. Um, I, I, you know, I think that, um, you know, we are looking down the horizon of our, of, of you know, um, a great dawn, a great dawning of our civilization. Um, but it's important, I think, to note to look to live for today. And um, although we have one eye on the future because it's going to be changing quick, we also make sure that we, you know, really. Uh, enjoy the benefits of the technologies we have today and to live in the now because you can, it's, it's easy to constantly look to the future. And so that's, you know, if I had any wisdom to share, I think maybe that would be something I would offer just to, to enjoy today. Seize the day. Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Um, and what about um, giving us a little bit more contact information or where people can go and find more information about both your movie and um, uh, yourself, potentially? Well, they can go to transcendentman.com. I mean, they can certainly Google Transcendent Man, and there's, there's a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a fan page on, on Facebook, and um, we're going to be making some announcements soon with regards to um, the launch of the film and where people mm-hmm. can see it and um, you know, on what media. Um, and uh, so I would direct people just to, to Google the name or go to transcendentman.com and we'll have, we'll have some updates and information shortly. So is that the best way? Because, for example, I can't wait myself to watch the movie um, here in Canada. Um, I'm located in Toronto. So uh, is that the best, way for me, the best way for me to get updated as to when the movie will be available here in Canada and maybe for our global listeners across the world? Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you go to Transcendent, although there's no, it doesn't um, reveal any dates now, but if you go there shortly, we will, we will start to uh, reveal dates and our times 
for the film's launch and the tour, which Ray will be participating on. We're doing a national tour. So, um, yeah, I would say go to, the, go to the website and check it out. Um, there's some other enjoyable things on there. You can read some of the press or see some mm-hmm. of the photos and, mm-hmm. and some other interesting uh, tidbits on there. So I would go to transcendentman.com, and, and we'll, you'll, all that information will be, will be on there. That's fantastic. On this note, I would like to say a, a big thank you to Barry Ptolemy for taking the time to give us an interview for Singularity Podcast. Singularity Podcast is a feature of singularityweblog.com where you can go and listen to the recording or download the full interview with Barry Ptolemy, director and producer of the upcoming Singularity movie, Transcendent Men. Thank you also to all the listeners of Singularity Podcast. I hope that you all enjoyed listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed talking to Barry, and I hope that you're all as eager to watch the movie as I am.